morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. John chapter 15 follows on from our passages about making a home, many mansions, about the Spirit residing in us, finding a home. This passage then is the natural extension of of this illustration, of this overarching illustration. The question is, what does it look like then that we abide in Jesus? In Isaiah chapter 5, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, he shares an illustration. And Isaiah paints this picture of this vineyard, and he says, the Lord planted this beautiful vineyard and he, he planted it in a fertile valley. The, the, the ground was lush and beautiful and he dug wells and he made sure that the vineyard was watered and, uh, and nourished. He built fences and put up watchtowers to protect the vineyard from wild animals and, and from robbers. And he created the perfect conditions for the vineyard to produce wonderful grapes. And then he says, but then after a season, it didn't produce the grapes that he planted. It produced other grapes, wild grapes, ugly fruit that, that didn't belong with the vineyard that he planted. Something went wrong, not from God's side, because did he not provide the nourishment, provide the soil, provide the protection, provide the conditions. So then the problem logically is not with the farmer or the gardener. It is with the plant, right? If you plant a fruit tree and year after year after year after year, you've tried everything, it doesn't produce fruit, then you say, must be the fruit tree and you cut it down, you plant something else. And that's the illustration. And he said, actually, I'm going to remove the protection. I'm going to remove the nourishment. I'm going to let wild animals run free, and I'm not going to prune it or keep it. Let's see what happens then. The illustration, it says at the end of that uh, passage in chapter 5, this is the house of Israel. But not everyone produced godly fruits. And so God's judgment was upon them. Now we fast forward and we get to chapter 15 of John. And we read that Jesus sort of picks up on this illustration. You can't not read chapter 15 and be reminded of Isaiah. The same purpose is imbued in this illustration that some are branches of this true vine, while other branches don't produce the same fruit. We're going to look at this morning what it means to abide in Jesus, as he repeats over and over and over in these verses and what the implications and the end result are of this wonderful truth. 
So let's read from chapter 15, verse 1 to 8, and then pray. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. If you have a King James, it would say, Husbandman, we'll get to that. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask and you will receive, and it shall be done unto you. And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Let us pray. Lord, come to you with humbleness and gratitude that you make your word known to us, that we can know you and we can know truth, that you, your children abide in us and equip us unto every good work as your word says. Help us now and pray that this may add to that equipping and that we may learn this morning what it means to abide. Amen. So the first person in this illustration or the character, he says, I'm the vine and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser or the gardener or the farmer. Um, that word is an old English word. It's all synonyms for the same thing. So he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that does bear fruit, purgeth it. In other words, pruning it. If we are uh, these branches of this true vine, by the way, um, if a tree doesn't bear fruit, the common expression would be that the tree is lying. <laughs> that's, that's an old idea. And I, I think um, that Jesus says, in light of the, the passage in Isaiah and in light of the saying, <laughs> says, I am the true vine, that in me there will be fruit. He says that there are two kinds of branches, and he's going to elaborate on that. This is not an illustration that sums up the whole of the doctrine of salvation. It's not saying that some can lose their salvation if they don't produce fruit. It's illustrating that abiding in Christ produces fruit, and we, as, as with eyes, we're not psychic. We look at the people in the pews of the churches, the people that profess the name of Christ, I am a Christian, and, and lives somewhat accordingly, or, or not, <laughs> and just says it, that they claim to be a branch of this vine. We're not psychic. We cannot see a person's heart. And so the evidence, whether this vine is truly a part of this 
um, the branch is truly a part of the vine or only imitating or masquerading is the fruit. That is what the passage is teaching. That is what the passage is highlighting. I know some have in history used this passage to point out that we can lose our salvation. That is not what it is teaching at all. So if you produce fruit, the Lord prunes, and you produce more fruit. Isn't that true to our lives? If we think about our Christian testimony, if we think about where the Lord has uh, taken us from and where we are now and where we continue to grow, isn't it that when friends get removed, when we lose friends that are maybe from our old toxic life, when we uh, remove ourselves from certain habits, when we grow out of certain sin patterns, it opens up opportunities for more growth. Then you surround yourself with people who are other believers, who would encourage you in godliness, and, and so opportunities open for more growth. We don't start every Monday back at square one in our sanctification. We don't start every Monday exactly where we were 10 years ago, and now we just tackle it again. And those things are external. As we produce fruit, we, we look externally at what is in the Father's sovereign control, and we, and we can see his hand working in our lives and say, Lord, you're actually facilitating my Christian growth on an external level, not just on an internal, the, the Spirit uh, renews us internally, that's true, and we then take hold of that equipping and we actively strive in our sanctification. There's responsibility on us. But then also, there's these external, uncontrollable things at work that facilitate our godly growth. And if you think about your lives and the, the lives of the Christian brothers and sisters around you, I bet we can all see that on some, on some level, can't we? And that's uh, amazing to think. And the inverse is true as well. The, the vine dresser deals with the unfruitful branches as well, does he not? In judgment. It says, Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. That in a very real way, the gospel, it says, is a power unto salvation. And if we are dealing with an aspect of our salvation, um, it comes to the word and he says, what I'm saying to you now, you are of the fruit-bearing branch. <laughs> so he's distinguishing people that he's speaking to, his disciples, in the intimacy of the upper room. So our first point, we looked at the role of the vine dresser or the husbandman in this illustration. The next would be then the life of the vine and the interaction it has with the branches directly. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abide in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And even in verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit 
of itself. The fruit directly correlates to the new, the new life and, and the true salvation we have in Jesus Christ. It directly correlates to that. We cannot imitate the fruit. We cannot paint apples and, and stick it with sellotape onto the branch. It doesn't work. So it, it is not in our, in our deeds that we are sanctified. Many times in, in our Christian walk, and even me in my early Christian life, I was under this impression, Lord, I'm so filled with gratitude that you saved me. Now I'm going to do right. <laughs> and I'm out the door, and I've kind of left God behind, thinking that I can sanctify myself. Now we know as, as true believers that is not the case. But as unbelievers who claim the Christian faith, that is all that they have. And unfortunately, we might see that on some level, or we might see very willfully false imitations of that. And the Lord says here that the fruit is a direct result of our true salvation in Him. It, it is not produced from any external factor. The external factors facilitate that, and if there's there's hindrances that could slow that, but the fruit is from the Spirit, and uh, it cannot be imitated. If a man abide not in me, verse 6, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. We know that the judgment of God is a very real thing, and in the last days, it's not going to be overlooked. It's a reality for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we evangelize. That's why we share the gospel. That's why, that's why we have been saved, because we need it as well. That would, that's our end result if we do not place faith in Christ. But the Bible especially speaks very harshly or, or very firmly on those who claim the Christian faith with a deceitful heart, who claim, yes, I want the graces of God, but I do not want to submit, and I do not repent of my sin, and I want to carry on with my life in my own wisdom, but I don't want to go to hell. And, and that hypocrisy, that double-mindedness, the scriptures are very harsh on that how we treat it in church discipline or, or how we address it. But in a very real sense, he reminds the disciples that there is judgment. And so it's a harsh reality to, to take with this beautiful illustration that, that we can uh, bear godly fruit, but a harsh warning if we do not, again, not out of our own power, but out of hypocrisy for our um, claiming of salvation. <laughs> it's, it's hard to, to think. You know, maybe you've encountered this in your personal walk, in your personal family, where for a time you hear a confession of faith. And then a year or two years or three years, and this person is not only not producing Christian fruit, but 
they're openly rejecting the truth of Scripture. I've had that in my family. That's why I'm, I'm bringing it up. Don't tell me or anything. But the Bible then says, I, I have to treat this person as an unbeliever. I cannot, I cannot pretend, I cannot wish that their confession was from the heart if they now openly deny fundamental truths of the faith. You see, salvation is not just an intellectual assent. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be a change of heart. We need to understand that we need saving in order to accept a Savior. And sometimes that's just not the case. It says, if we consider our last point, the purpose then of the fruit, the purpose of the fruit. It says, I'm sorry, before we get to that, I want to address verse 7. I realized last week that chapter 14 touches on this as well, and I didn't address it then. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask and what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In chapter 14, there's an allusion to that as well. And so I want to go for a little bit of a segue what is this saying? <laughs> Can we ask anything of God and he is obligated to deliver on what we ask? No. It says, and my words abide in you. In a very, again, in a, in a real sense, the content, the message of the gospel is a tangible thing that brings about salvation. If we cannot hear the gospel, we cannot receive it, and we cannot be saved. If my words abide in you, the gospel to begin with, and then if we are saved, then why would Jesus' other words not then follow suit? His commands, his, his teachings, his, his words and truth on our renewing and our sanctification on the church, what does he say over and over and over and over? I feel like every time I repeat this, it, we get hammered harder and harder with it. In verse 9, And my Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. When God's words abide in us, love others as I have loved you and love God, what then do you think the content of our prayers would be? Would it be selfish? Would it be self-seeking? Would it be materialistic? Of course not. Our desires would then line up with the desires of God. Our, our prayers would be for our, our good as God sees what is good for us. I think we should, as Christians, learn to pray bigger. <laughs> Pastor Cal told me that. Not from a selfishness, not from materialism, but sometimes we try and avoid those traps and we don't pray big. We forget the greatness that God is able to achieve in our lives. There are some big prayers in my life currently. I'm sure everyone has. So don't be afraid to pray big. <laughs> I... I thinking about how that's coming out. Please don't misunderstand me. But when we pray and the God's word abides in us, our prayers will be of a certain shape. We cannot just call God up like a genie in a lamp, right? 
What is the purpose of this fruit then? What is the end result that, that is produced here? It says, this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. The, the fruits of the Spirit is, is laid out in Ephesians, but I think it's, it's more than that. I think it's more than love and patience and joy. It's a weaving together of all those things. It's not each individual thing that now gets enacted in our lives. Matthew Henry says, a Christian should produce Christianity. <laughs> when we share the gospel and we live our lives worldly, selfish, lying, cheating, what effect do you think that would have on the person that you share it with? You're a hypocrite. <laughs> How can you say those things? How can you say that there is saving faith in Jesus Christ and you're living the way you do? How does God get the glory then? When we bear fruit, when we have these undeniable traits that, that defies worldly explanation, where someone bitter, angry, resentful their entire life changes in a way that is unexplainable. And then that person says, well, I accepted Jesus Christ. And through him, I am the person I am today. Won't you accept Christ as well? Then God gets the glory. That is the purpose of our Christian fruit. That not only as an identifier among us, but also when the world looks at the Christian body and say, they're different. They're separated. They're, there's something peculiar, the Bible says, <laughs> calls the saints. There's something peculiar about them. It must be what they're saying then is true. Not that we convince men, but that through our fruit, God is glorified. We cannot, we cannot walk our Christian life with, with true repentance and belief and faith and remain in bitterness when the fruits speak of love and long-suffering and patience and joy, we cannot claim Jesus as our Savior and gossip and get irritated and, and get impatient and feel bitterness and not strive in all of our actions, in all of our words, in all of our thoughts for love. The two are not compatible. And so this morning, how do we abide in Christ. Well, I don't want to, you know, every Sunday just say, read your Bibles and pray. <laughs> but that's actually what it says here, right? If my words abide in you. And then he teaches on prayer to ask anything of the Lord. We need to know our God on an intellectual level through his words that he's revealed. We need to know him in our daily life when we lean on him for not just our physical needs, but in every aspect of life. Are we, are we truly living as though Christ is with us, that the Spirit is in us? Is this a reality in your life? It should reflect in our actions, and it will produce fruit, and God will be glorified. Please excuse me if uh, it was a little bit less structured this morning, but I hope we can all understand now
the purpose of this illustration. Lord, we do thank you for your words. We thank you that the reality of the indwelling of the Spirit can be seen in very real and tangible ways that when your word says the renewing of our minds, it's not just a sentiment that's encouraging, it's a tangible truth and that it is evidence that your word is true and that you are glorified. And who are we to withhold any glory from you? We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.